I come to you with a heavy heart this week, dear friends. A shining light in this world is no longer on this earth, although her light still shines just the same. Lynette Abbott is and was a dear friend of mine, one whom I spoke with often. We shared spiritual insights, loving thoughts, and I just so appreciate the opportunity to have known her and loved her while she was on this earth. She leaves behind an amazing legacy. And if I can play just a small role in ensuring her message continues, I'm happy to do so by sharing this episode we recorded together last year. In it, she shares her cancer journey and her light shines bright even through her words. I love you, Lynette. On this episode of the Minding Wellness Podcast, I interview Lynette Abbott. She is a confetti-tossing, mom-bossing creative from Miami, Florida. In 2013, she founded Craft My Occasion, an event planning company that specializes in custom parties for children. In 2017, she launched Party Supplies Celebrating Children of Color, which features brown-skinned, curly-haired, full-lipped characters that look like an underserved demographic in the party supply industry. She is incredibly passionate about creating products that empower children of color. In addition to these amazing accolades and achievements, Lynette has also had a very inspiring and difficult journey with cancer. This is what we dive into on this episode. Not only the details of her journey, but her amazing perspective on thriving with cancer. I am so excited to have Lynette Abbott on the podcast today. Lynette and I actually met virtually at first through our mastermind with our fearless leader, Jana Selner, and then we met in person at our mastermind retreat. At that time, which was last October, I didn't know nearly as much about Lynette as I do now. And once I heard about her story, I could not wait to get her inspiring story on this podcast. So thank you so much for being here today, Lynette. Thank you for having me, Claudia. I'm so excited to be here and really happy to share my story with you and your listeners. Thank you so much. Before we dive in, I would like to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, which is, what does true wellness mean to you? Wow, um, that's a a great question. And um, when I hear that question, what comes to mind is that wellness is, um, to me, it's very comprehensive. So it includes the mind, the body, as well as the spirit. Um, And I think it's important that we take time to nurture each one of those pieces of ourselves to achieve um, full wellness or true wellness. 
I love that. And it's absolutely in line with the rebranding of this podcast. So it is perfect timing to have you on. I absolutely agree about the comprehensive piece of that. And I know that all that you're going to share is going to encompass that for sure. So to get started, let's go through a brief, well, and it won't be brief because there's a lot of details, but let's go through a background of you and your story. Okay, so um, I am a breast cancer thriver, and I purposely call myself a breast cancer thriver because I don't consider, I don't identify with the word survivor. Um, So I was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010. Um, I was only 30 years old. I was a fairly new mom. My son was like one and a half years old. And um, I found a very small lump on my left breast. And so I went through the whole process of the ultrasound and the mammogram and the uh, biopsy, and it came back positive for uh, breast cancer. So, of course, I was uh, floored at that time and uh, very scary, actually, because I was like the healthy girl of the family and just never thought something like that would happen to me. So there was a lot of unanswered questions for me at that time. Um, So I went through the process of getting a lumpectomy and also radiation at that time. Um, Quite a few oncologists were trying to get me to do uh, chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, uh, radiation, like the full gamut of all treatments available. Um, And I was very resistant to that. So Um, I did the lumpectomy and I did the radiation and I really didn't feel comfortable with the radiation because I had an idea of what it would do to my body. But um, I kind of felt obligated at that time to do it because I felt like it gave my family peace of mind and they were kind of looking at me like, what are you going to do? So Um, I opted to go ahead and do the radiation. And um, at that time, I also started looking for a naturopathic doctor because I I really um, was into holistic healing and holistic treatments. So I really wanted somebody that could guide me to the things that would help me the most at that time. Um, So I went through the treatments, everything was fine. And I continue working with my naturopath. Um, about five years later, in 2015, uh, my breast cancer came back. It was uh, the same breast, the left breast, and the same exact spot. Actually, um, I discovered the lump early on, but I had thought it was scar tissue because it was directly below the scar from my lumpectomy. Um, but over time, it started to grow. And it even started to tingle a little bit, which was strange. And I was just like, this is weird. I don't think, you know, scar tissue was supposed to grow. And I had even spoken to my doctor about it. And he was like, oh, it's probably scar tissue. But then when I mentioned it was growing, then he was like, yeah, no, that's not a good thing. So um, I went through all the diagnostic tests again, and it came back positive for breast cancer. Same, same exact breast cancer had not mutated or any of that. It was the same. Um, So this time, uh, the lump was much larger, and um, it had gotten into, I think, two or three of my lymph nodes. So I was um, very shocked at this time because, first of all, I never even thought it would come back, and it had been five years. 
And, um, and now I'm like, oh, it's back and it's bigger and it's somewhere else. So it's like, uh, I was just floored. Basically. I just did, I didn't know what to do. I, I was, um, probably more upset and more scared than I was the first time. And then, so there was the discussions about chemo again and surgery. And um, at this time, I opted to do a double mastectomy and chemotherapy. Um, they suggested radiation, but I said no. I just felt like I was putting my body through too much. And also, um, I did reconstruction uh, surgery after I had healed from um, the, the mastectomy a few months later. So um, at that time, I did not want to do chemo. I really didn't, but I was so scared. And I'm like, if this thing keeps like trying to come back for me, I need to, um, you know, do something, something big because it's, it's responding in a big way. So, and um, again, my family is kind of like looking at me like, okay, so what are we going to do? And to them at that time, me, you know, taking supplements and, changing my diet and all of these lifestyle things were not considered treatment. So I could be like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's great. But what are you going to do? So, um, I did opt to do the chemotherapy, um, and just totally out of fear of like the unknown, like, what am I dealing with? What does this mean? Um, and again, to like, um, to satisfy my family and even while I was doing chemo, like, of course I was sick and I never, um, considered it. Like I knew that to a certain extent it was shrinking the cancer. I did believe that, but I also felt strongly that it was poisoning my body. So I didn't have, um, a positive perspective on, um, chemotherapy. And I just decided not to do radiation. And I also decided to not do any of the um, I guess it's hormone therapy or whatever pills that the oncologist was suggesting. Um, and she had tried to get, she had tried to get me to do it years prior, but I was just like, no, I'm not taking any type of medicine. Like I wouldn't even take a Tylenol for a headache. So there's no way I'm taking medicine every day for the next 10 years. Like, it's just not going to happen. I need to find another way to, um, you know, intercept my hormones or reduce them. So that's something that I worked closely with my um, naturopathic doctor on doing is reducing my estrogen, the estrogen load in my body. Um, so that was in 2015 and treatment spilled over into 2016. So now um, we're in 2017 and I had not um, had a lump or anything, but I just was feeling really tired. Um, I was stressed out a lot from work. Um, I had went back to work. It had been a year now and um, I just wasn't taking care of myself the way that I was when I wasn't working. Um, I wasn't sleeping enough. I wasn't eating as healthy as I should be. I wasn't eating as often as I needed to. And um, it was just a lot of slack when it came down to my self-care. And so I had told my husband that I wanted to take a leave of absence from work. And I said, you know, it's really... Uh, wearing on me and I really need to take care of myself before I get another diagnosis. Um, that was like, uh, maybe August, September of 2017. And then I got a PET scan in November of 2017 and it, it came back that I had, 
uh, cells, cancer cells on my spine, on my lower uh, L5, lumbar spine. So um, we started the process again with talking to my oncologist and figuring out what we're going to do. Um, we did do a biopsy, I believe, in January of 2018, and um, it came back positive for breast cancer. It had spread to my spine, and so she knew me by now, and she basically was asking me, like, what do you want to do? And I told her, I don't know. I really don't feel comfortable with doing anything that you guys suggest because none of that stuff works. Like, I've done just about everything that you have to offer. And I'm, I'm kind of done, you know, so I really need to do what I believe is going to heal me. Um, and so she understood that. So she told me to take some time um, and come back and see her. So I think she gave me 60 days because she said we had time because it was a little spot. It was really small. Um, and so I, she was giving me time to figure out what I wanted to do and come back and we we're going to come up with a plan. So during that time, I started having severe back pain um, that I cannot even explain to you. Like I had two children, natural childbirth, and this pain was 10 times worse, okay? Uh, and so I went to the hospital, um, and eventually they told me that my tumor had basically grown um, and fractured my whole L5 vertebrae. So in a very short period of time, um, it went from what we thought was a small spot to um, a large enough tumor to damage my spine. So I had to have surgery um, if I wanted to continue to be able to walk. They actually did, couldn't even believe that I was still had the use of my body from the waist down um, based on what was going on on the inside. Um, and so to this day, we still don't really know why the tumor, um, grew so big. My theory is that once I got the biopsy done, that it, it was, uh, uh, the integrity of the tumor was, um, disturbed, I guess, or disrupted. And that just allowed it to, you know, spread wherever it wanted to, or as quickly as it wanted to. Um, but anyway, so I had to get surgery because otherwise I would have been paralyzed from the waist down. So I had two major back surgeries in um, May of 2018. And then um, after that, they told me there was like a small amount of the tumor still there. Um, like they removed as much as they could, but their number one priority was to maintain um, my spine and make it structurally sound so that it could support my body. Um, so that was like the number one priority and that's what they did. But there was also a small portion of the tumor that remained. So radiation came up again. So I'm like, oh, um, I didn't uh, know what I was going to do. I talked to my husband about it. And so we decided to do the radiation. And that was because he was freaking out because some of the tumors still remain. Um, and I thought that the radiation was going to be fairly simple because when I did the radiation for my breasts uh but eight years ago I had almost no side effects um but fast forward to 2018 and I had like all the side effects so um that was a pretty miserable time and I actually got severe nerve damage from that uh treatment that um that 
you know, it radiates down my leg to my foot. So um, that was 2018. And then shortly after that, I decided to uh, just do completely and totally, totally natural healing. I told my husband that I'm done with the invasive treatments. I'm done with like all of it. Like I can't do it anymore. Um, I even discussed with my oncologist and she said, if you don't believe that this is going to help you or heal you, it's not going to work. And I said, you're absolutely right. So there's no reason for me to do it because I can't even force myself to like think that, oh, this is going to be great for me. I just, I just know in my gut that, um, I needed to, to change. And, um, I also told my husband that, uh, the third time around, um, I feel like with every diagnosis, I've learned so much and most of the learning has been about myself. And um, this time around, I told him that I'm no longer fighting cancer. I'm not beating cancer. I'm not fighting like a girl. Like, I'm not doing any of that. I don't want to fight. I don't want any conflict. I don't want any confrontation. I just want to allow my body to heal um, because I know it's capable of doing that. So the focus is not on the cancer but it's on me giving my body everything it needs so that it can heal. And in the healing process, the cancer uh, will not exist. So um, even as recent as January, I got a PET scan and it came back that some spots on my spine and even my ribs are, um, uh, there's activity is the word they used. Um, but you know, my doctor's like, if you're not gonna get treatment, what they're considering treatment, then, you know, we're just going to monitor you. So I'm still on my natural healing journey. Um, and I do lots of things to, uh, lots of lifestyle changes that I've made that I do daily to, uh, facilitate the healing that needs to happen in my body. So that's, uh, the overview of the journey. Lynette, your story is really so inspiring in so many ways. And I know that we have only just started touching on the details, but I know when I heard this and I'm just getting chills hearing it again, because so many of us, you know, we go through our daily lives and sometimes we just take our health for granted. And to hear your story of what you have gone through and journeyed through since 2010, despite living what you would, you know, assume as a decently healthy lifestyle you know, it really puts things into perspective, I think, for the rest of us and, and makes us take a second look at the decisions that we're making. What I would like to focus on, and I am so appreciative of you sharing your story because I know it's going to be so inspiring to so many. A few things that we kind of hit on in that story was surrounding the concept of feelings at time of diagnosis and how those feelings might determine our path in treatment decisions. And I also want to remind our listeners that neither Lynette nor I are making any specific suggestions for any individual person listening to this. This is Lynette's story, her unique perspective, and her unique journey. But I think that it sheds so much light on what goes on from you know just a mindset standpoint and decision making standpoint that I wanted to share the story. So can you go a little bit deeper into the concept of the fear that is present at time of diagnosis, not only for yourself, but specifically as you mentioned multiple times there, 
as far as your family, the uncertainty for yourself, but also for your family and the feeling that you need to make a decision that everybody can be happy with. So you're placed in this position of, I don't necessarily know what I want to do, but I've got my family here wanting me to make a decision, probably a decently aggressive decision because they obviously want you to be well. But then on the same token, you feel a need to go a more natural route. You're concerned about the toxicity of chemotherapy. So can you talk us through that sort of dynamic that's happening in your mind and probably a lot of minds of people at time of diagnosis and how that fear might make might make you make a decision that if you were to look back, maybe you wouldn't or you would have asked more questions? Right. Um, so... Um, the fear is real. And um, I am absolutely a person that tries to lead a very positive life. And I usually don't let fear um, lead me when I make decisions. However, usually when you're given this diagnosis, it's like life or death and you need to make a decision. Um, And it's like, you need to make a decision now. (laughs) So, Um, The fear is real and it's compounded by the doctors and the oncologists and um, so many different doctors you go to see and the radiologists and it's like, uh, I can't even tell you how many doctors I visited. Um, So the fear is real and it's very difficult to um, be positive and be in a, a place that you feel grounded when you have all of these doctors telling you all these negative things and, um, on top of that, your, your family is like, we love you. We want you to be here as long as possible. So we need to like get it done, basically. Um, so it's, it's a very hard place to be in. Um, one thing that I will say is most of the time that when I made a decision to do conventional treatment, I really didn't want to do it. Um, I did it because, number one, it was a quick fix and that made my family feel comfortable Um, and number two is that I was so uncertain because I had this question of like, why does it keep coming back? You know, and I even asked doctors that and they'd be like, oh, we don't know why. And don't worry about that. Let's just take care of it. And I'm like, no, I really need to know why. Like the person that I am, I need to know why and how almost all the time. So, um, it's a very hard position to be in, but what I've learned, um, and even with my oncologist now, Um, even though I think we have a good relationship and over the years, like she knows me, so she kind of knows how to approach me. Um, when I go to her, I don't like that she makes me feel small. Um, she minimizes me to this disease and I am so much bigger than cancer. Like I am a whole being and I have achieved incredible things in my life and I am capable of incredible things. And I feel like she doesn't know that. And it's just about like this cancer and it's going to kill you and like end a story. And I'm like, no, but it's not, it's the story continues. Like there's more. Um, And what I've learned and it's taken time and it's taken years is that, um, the decision that you're making is important, but it's not necessarily urgent. So in my case, yes, this needs to be taken care of. And I'm not walking around in denial and I'm not saying like, oh, you know, it's going to take care of itself and I'm going to be, everything's going to be fine. I don't have to do anything. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is I don't have to make a decision today. I don't even have to make a decision tomorrow. And 
that's even more evident now because like I said, my oncologist knows me. So she's like, okay, come back and see me in 30 days or we'll talk about this in 60 days um, because she knows that I'm, my cancer is uh, not aggressive. And I believe uh, a lot of studies are showing now that they, the word aggressive is used a lot, but that's not necessarily the case when it comes to a lot of different cancers. Um, and it's not a decision I need to make overnight. So she's okay with giving me time and space to figure out what feels best for me and my family. Um, and also now my family has been on this journey for a while with me. And they also know that the quick fix is not necessarily the best option. It makes us feel better uh, sooner, but in the long run, uh, we're still gonna have to deal with whatever underlying issue there is that is allowing this cancer to keep surfacing uh, in your body. So um, I feel like I know exactly how people feel when they first get a diagnosis. And the best advice that I would have is just to like take a second to breathe and give yourself some time to process the information that you received and think through how you feel, what you want, how you want to feel. Um, because there's so many different journeys that lead to healing. Uh, so it's, and it's a big decision to make. And you are the one that's going to have to uh, experience whatever side effects there are, um, the good and the bad that comes with the treatment. So although you do take your family into consideration and you love them too, and you know they want the best for you, at the end of the day, you really have to make the best decision for yourself. And that is so hard to do. Um, and I know you love and value your family, but you really have to think about what do I want? How do I want to feel? How do I want to be? And know and have faith that you will get the treatment that you need to heal. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, exactly what the doctor said or exactly how the doctor said. Because um, I remember my oncologist telling me that, oh, we do custom uh, treatment. Like every patient, we treat them different. Um, I never felt like they treated me like a person. And once I found out that I had breast cancer and now I'm a part of the breast cancer community and I start communicating with other women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, we all get the same treatment. Nothing is customized. Nobody is treated like an individual. Um, so it's up to you to customize your own treatment and you have permission to do that because it's your life, it's your body. Um, and that's what you're supposed to be doing. Mm, that's so powerful, Lynette, from the perspective of your journey, even though, you know, I have heard stories before of feelings and thoughts that go into these type of situations. I just, I love your perspective and a few things really stand out for me. You know, I'm, I'm visualizing as you're talking, I'm visualizing the patient, you know, you in this case or anybody else who's receiving this type of diagnosis. And I'm, it's kind of giving me a visual of the person being separated from the cancer. And suddenly now the cancer is the focus and the person sort of falls to the background and it almost doesn't, it isn't addressed anymore. And what 
you know, what you're bringing to light is so important is that you are still there. You know, your thoughts, your feelings, your preferences, your desire for more answers, all of that still remains. And to be given the permission to say, wait a minute, you know, I, can I take, I'm going to take, you know, a few days, maybe a few weeks to decide depending on the case and, you know, how safe that might be, but making a decision not out of fear, uncertainty, and the need for an immediate answer, but rather taking your whole being into account and realizing you are still there and you're allowed to ask some questions and to make decisions that feel good to you. And, you know, you are not serving over your body to another entity. You know, it's not, it's not that separation, you know, you're still a a whole being. And so I really love how you have put that into perspective. And of course, again, we are not making any decisions for anybody. It's just a matter of, you know, giving a little bit of a different perspective because so many people have been in a situation where they are told something, given a diagnosis, and there is this sense of, okay, tell me what I need to do and let's get going. And I wish as a healthcare professional that everything was really that black and white, that we really did have a hundred percent guaranteed answers to every single one of these cases. But the reality is, and everybody in medicine will agree to this, that we don't have all of the answers. We have a lot of guidelines. We have a lot of suggestions. We have a lot of clinical judgment, but we don't have a hundred percent certainty for every single case. And because there is not that certainty for every single case, it definitely gives the person who is receiving this diagnosis, the freedom, a little bit of that flexibility to say, okay, well, since nobody has a full answer, let me take some time to, to sift through this, meditate on it, to, to, you know, sit in it and do some research on my own and, you know, maybe get a second opinion. I've had lots of clients who, you know, every, every physician goes through a little bit of a different training depending on when they were and when they've trained. And, you know, sometimes just getting another set of eyes on it, a third set of eyes on it, um, you know, can really shed some light and make you feel a little bit more grounded in the decision-making process. So I love that you have gone through all that. What would you say Lynette of today would say to Lynette at the time of initial diagnosis what would your recommendation and advice be to that, Lynette? Wow, that is a great question. Um, and it's funny that you asked me that because um, um, I went to an all-natural um, institute to learn how to heal myself. And uh, one of the young ladies who I met there asked me, um, like, how come you didn't come here sooner? And I told her, I said, I don't think my 30-year-old self would have been ready to receive this information. Um, But what I would say to my 30-year-old self, which was when I got my first diagnosis, is that that you're going to be okay um, and that you are well and this does not define you. And you are fully capable of healing yourself um, and to just listen to your intuition and follow your heart. Um, I think that's probably the most valuable information that I would be able to um, share with my younger self. 
So, so powerful. And of course, we all wish we had, you know, as clear a foresight as we do of hindsight, um, but we don't always have that. And it's, it's going to be really inspiring and powerful for, you know, our listeners to, to hear that because some of them may be at a very terrifying place and uncertain place and to know, you know, what a future, you know, kind of a similar version of themselves might say is, is so, so powerful. Let's talk a little bit about, before we wrap up, can we talk a little bit more about your perspective on the cancer survivor identity? So you talked about the fact that, um, you know, you see things a little bit differently. And I, and I think it's really powerful the way that you see things. You said you're no longer fighting. You're no longer beating. You're no longer fighting like a girl. The focus is not on the cancer. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So um, every time I've been diagnosed with cancer, I feel like there's a lesson for me to learn. Um, so I'm always asking, what is my lesson? What is my lesson? What am I learning? What am I supposed to be learning? What is this teaching me? And the third time around, it just came to me and it was allow healing, just like allow healing. Stop blocking your healing because the healing is there. It's always there. It never goes away. But sometimes we do things that block it, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Um, So um, I told my husband, like, I'm not fighting cancer anymore. I'm not fighting like a girl. I'm not beating cancer. I'm not fighting anything. I'm not fighting anybody. I'm just allowing healing to flow. I'm allowing love and peace and joy and healing into my life. Um, so fighting like a girl doesn't really resonate with me. And I, and I have this like long history. Well, I guess it's not that long, but I have a history of dealing with breast cancer. And um, I usually don't lead with this story of like, I'm a breast cancer survivor. Um, And it's not because I'm ashamed of it, or I don't want to talk about it. Um, I'm very happy to talk about it, especially if I'm helping somebody or inspiring somebody in the process. But that's not who I am, right? That's uh, something that happened to me. It's something that has very much shaped me into the woman that I am today. So I'm fully grateful for that. Um, But it's not who I am. So I'm not always like up on the pedestal waving my pink ribbon. Like I'm, I don't want to be the pink ribbon girl. I don't want you to box me into breast cancer survivor because like, I'm, like I said, I'm a whole being. And um, so I don't subscribe to that identity. I feel like it's minimizing me as a person um, and everything else that I am and that I have to offer to the world. So um that's why I consider myself a thriver. I'm a breast cancer thriver. So I've had breast cancer and um, I'm healing myself from it, but I'm thriving. Like I'm living my life and I still consider myself to be healthy and happy. And I live an abundant life uh, that I consider abundant. So to me, survival sounds very um, it sounds like a rough time. It sounds like scarcity and, um, stressful. And I just don't, that's not what my life is. That's not what I want my life to be. And I don't identify with that. So I'm not surviving. To me, surviving is like barely holding on the last thread, you know, and that's absolutely not what my life is. That's not who I am. So I am definitely uh, a breast cancer thriver. 
and you won't see me like, you know, walking around waving a pink ribbon because I'm not saying anything negative about anyone who does that. Like that is their choice and that's their journey. Um, but there is so much more to me. Like I'm a complex individual. So um, that's just not the one thing or the main thing. And honestly, it's not even the most important thing in my life. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. So I'm just not, um, I'm just not on the, you know, pink ribbon bandwagon, I guess. I really love your perspective on that. And I think it is going to be so valuable for so many of our listeners, just sort of reframing that perspective. And it brings me back to the beginning of our episode, which was when I asked you, you know, what true wellness means to you. And you said that it was a comprehensive combination of mind, body, and spirit. And when we do conventional treatments, you know, the focus is on the body and the mind and the spirit are kind of on, you're on your own, you know, which a lot of times means you're not really focused on that because of the fear and, and, and some of the, the, you know, thoughts and feelings and emotions that are coming with that. So I love the mindset piece of this because it it's so missed and it's not something that's always focused on. I mean, occasionally some of the conventional, you know, treatment options and facilities will provide psychologists, but there isn't really that strong piece where that is incorporated into a comprehensive treatment program. Can you talk a little bit about how that mindset and that spirit piece is incorporated into the program that you eventually found at Hippocrates and how the mindset and the spirit piece really can play an important role that gets largely missed? Um, wow. Yeah. So my time at Hippocrates was amazing and I learned so much. It's so much more than the diet. Um, and it's actually the diet is very important, but your spirituality is um a huge focus there and um it's really uh everything because it's like what do you believe do you believe that you're going to live or you're going to die do you believe that you can heal yourself or you don't and it and it sounds really basic and it is but you know it's a lot harder to do it's a lot easier to say um but it's definitely doable um with practice but the the core of that program is really about um, teaching you how to heal yourself and showing you that you can do it. And the spiritual part is really how much you tend to yourself, um, your mind, your body, um, as well as your spirituality. Like, do you pay attention to, to the whole being, all of you? Because you have to nurture all three of those in order to actually achieve complete healing. Um, so there are so many different programs and exercises that they do um, that they take you through the spiritual journey and really how much your mindset affects your physical body. Um, it, it's it's mind blowing and it's like scientifically proven. So it's not just uh, suggestions or theories. Um, but they really go deep into the spirituality of it. And um, it's a lot deeper, like they offer psychologists, but they also do a lot of emotional healing, 
um, a lot of exercises with, uh, that help you identify with how you feel about yourself and your level of self-worth and self-love. Like everything is about the self and um, how much you love yourself and loving yourself means, you know, taking time to deal with your emotions, to heal stored, uh, buried emotions that some of us don't even realize we have since birth. Um, so many different things, but it all comes back to uh, your spiritual being and how you have to nurture that being. And it's a part of, you know, your holistic wellness. So the mindset is huge. It's, it's, it's so big. Um, I'm reminded of an exercise that we did there when um, our teacher asked us, I'm sorry, it's a doctor. I shouldn't call her teacher. <laughs> she mm-hmm. asked us to, um, she literally gave us a blank paper and crayons and was like, draw your cancer. Like just draw what it looks like. So, you know, everybody in the room had different types of cancer. I think uh, only two of us had breast cancer and it was a total of 12 of us. So everybody had different types of cancer and she was like, you know, no instructions, just draw it. So everybody drew their picture um, and we had to use colors. And so then everybody had to show their picture in a group setting and then talk, you know, explain it. And then she would give her, um, her perspective of what the picture meant, like based on the colors If people use red, they would say like, that's an anger, um, a, a color that uh, represents anger. So I think anger is associated with the liver or something like that. So anyway, so I drew my picture and my picture has like rainbows and plants and like I have on this bright pink dress that I'm smiling and oh the other thing she said to write I'm sorry on the picture was to draw you your you with your cancer and then all of the things that you're doing to like all the treatments everything that you're doing to heal your cancer so that was supposed to be a part of the picture too so I had like all this green juice around me and plants and um all these different type of treatments I was doing there that they offered um but on my picture, there was no cancer. So she said, okay, does that mean that you're in denial? Like you don't have cancer? And I'm like, oh, no, no, it doesn't. So she wanted me to explain like, why is there no cancer on my picture? And I told her, uh, because I'm focused on healing. So I wrote like all the things around me that are healing me. And I, I'm not worried about the cancer. Like, I'm just not. It's going, my body's going to take care of it because I'm giving my body everything that it needs uh, to heal. So um, that was just one of the exercises that we did because she wanted to um, convey to us, like, how we see our cancer and what we think about it and, you know, and that associati- association with it, with us in our bodies. Um, so... Uh, things like that. And that was, you know, a very easy exercise, but there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of um, emotional um, exercises that they do to help you, uh, you know, deal with things that we probably don't know that are stored inside of us or that we just don't want to deal with. Um, But at the end of the day, it's such a level of freedom when you uh, uncover those things and release them. So 
yeah, the, the mindset at Hippocrates is huge. And they'll tell you, you can drink all the green juice you want. You can eat as healthy as you want. But if your mind isn't right and also your stress level isn't um, minimal, it doesn't matter. So all the things work together. You can't just do one and, you know, not the other. So, yeah, that was definitely a powerful uh, experience for me. Um, I love that place. Mm, what a beautiful picture I'm seeing in my head of what you drew. Um, it's, and it really is such a testament to you living out what you're saying, which is the mindset and spirit piece. And, and actually, a few things hit me kind of hard there. One was you originally you know, identified her as a teacher. And I think about how rare it is that we would identify a healthcare professional as a teacher and mm -hmm. why, you know, why does it have to be that way? You know, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it because they have the capacity and the knowledge to teach. Yes. They, in most cases, don't have the time or aren't taught to teach. You know, they're taught to be the authority figure that tells and in very, rare circumstances might teach, but that's definitely not, it would not be a primary identifier. But when you thought of that experience, your primary identifier was her as a teacher, which I think is so powerful in and of itself. Um, and then of course, what was powerful was your depiction, your drawing, your graphical representation of what your experience is without it being of a fighting approach. So you weren't fighting anything. You weren't angry at anything. There was no red, unless there might've been a red flower, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a resistance or no a fight. red. Yeah. And so, you know, what a beautiful place to be, to, to be able to reach that place where it's no longer a fight. But, you know, I feel like society in general doesn't necessarily support that perspective. You know, it's kind of, we, you know, we are always talking about it being, you know, we are survivors and we're fighters and we're beating this. And so that's kind of ingrained in us. So to think differently mm -hmm. requires us to use different, you know, mindset, spirit, muscles, and to be intentional about that. I don't think that that's going to come as a default unless we work on that. So, so to have that help at a comprehensive facility like Hippocrates is, um, so, so great to highlight that that's an option for people. And again, you know, nothing that we're saying is, you know, saying yes or no to any specific treatment. This is just a journey that highlights so many of the perspective and treatment options that are out there that I think get missed. And that's why I so wanted to share your story, Lynette. And I'm so grateful to you for spending this time with me and our listeners. And I just know that this is going to make such a huge impact. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, Claudia. I am so happy that you invited me on your podcast. And um, I feel really, really excited about sharing my story and hoping that it will reach someone and speak to them. And it's something that they need to hear in this time. And um, your podcast is amazing. You're doing great things for people who need you so much. So I just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much, Lynette. You are a blessing and a shining light on this earth. And I'm so grateful to know you. So thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Minding Wellness Podcast. 
Lynette just truly touched my heart and soul with her insights on her journey with cancer, her identity as a cancer thriver, and her continued positive outlook. It truly is an inspiration to me, and I hope it is to you as well. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Minding Wellness Podcast. My hope is to bring you topics and experts that will help shift your perspective and truly see wellness as a full comprehensive piece of mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you here again next time.